for some irreligious people, and even atheists, an experience involving the seemingly paranormal can drive them to seek answers through religion and even exorcists. But for Kenneth Dukowski, an apparent encounter with the supernatural caused him to question his religion. I've always had certain abilities and there was a, a watershed moment when I was about 18. I had a very vivid dream in which a young man had killed an older man. I was like astroplaned from my body when I was sleeping into my neighbor's home and I saw what happened, but it didn't happen until 24 hours later. So when I awakened, I told my mother about the dream. And, you know, I hadn't spoken to my mother about dreams since I was a child. You know, it really shook me up. The next day, 24 hours later, we found that the police were at our neighbor's home. And uh, we found out that the husband and wife were murdered. Did you speak to the police about your dream? Because you said you saw this younger guy murdering an older man. So presumably that was the perpetrator. Yeah. Because I had told my mother about the dream earlier in the day, and then we found out the next day, she told me not to tell anyone I had the dream. You know, in the world that we're living in, that would have made me a suspect. So you just kind of kept the premonition to yourself. So I kept it to myself. Only many years later did I start talking about it because I was trying to resolve it. That was like real proof for me that, you know, there's a spiritual side to the world. Basically, in the dream, I was there. I saw what happened, but there was also, I sensed a negative entity that was kind of pulling the strings and encouraging the person to kill. And I saw him only kill the father. I didn't see what happened to the mother. At least I don't recall. I even saw details like of how the father was killed. So growing up Jewish, Bar Mitzvah and all that, what I found was that this was the first time I had now I had other experiences before this, but not as intense. And that was verifiable. If you look at the newspapers, this definitely happened. There was a police investigation, there's physical evidence. I mean, this happened. Whereas my other experiences before that were subjective. You know, there was no real physical proof. I saw that there was a certain side of the universe or the world or reality that all of a sudden I had become aware of. And that led me not only on a spiritual path, but a search for truth. Being from the Jewish faith, I looked you know, at the Torah and at Jewish tradition. So I assumed that because that spiritual experience was true, that made the Torah and Judaism true. But then later on, when I did my due diligence, after being 25 years uh, Orthodox, Jewish, kosher, Shomer Shabbat, the whole thing. I did a reevaluation after looking at the uh, documentary hypothesis. I don't know if you're familiar or if your audience is aware of it, but pretty much there's a lot of archaeological, linguistic, historical facts that show that the Torah was written by many people over many different time spans. I know for sure from all the evidence that that's mostly likely the fact. And once you accept that premise, then pretty much that knocks out Orthodox Judaism because Orthodox Judaism is based upon God said to Moses, Moses wrote it down. Now, as soon as you don't have that, then everything else falls apart. Sometime later, a disgruntled co-worker allegedly placed a curse on Kenneth. This led him to seek help 
from an organisation that claimed to be able to tackle what they referred to as the evil eye. Impressed with the outcome of his encounter with them, Kenneth, who is now ordained as a minister in the Universal Life Church, though he no longer ties himself to what he regards as man-made religions, adopted the process used to try and assist someone else who was seemingly battling demons in an entirely different country. Before they awakened, I had put the entity that was, it was kind of like a succubus type entity, into molten lead. And in the molten lead, the body of a man appeared and it became like a statue. You can see arms, a head, legs. It looks like a male. So I sent the photos to the woman. Before she checked her email, she had awakened feeling fantastic. Then she opened her email and then saw the photos. And she had been to a psychic who said that she was possessed by a male entity. All of a sudden, I had like as close to proof, not as uh, vivid as my premonition was, but this woman was told that she's possessed by a male entity. She never told me that. And then here I do the technique and out pops the, the body of a man in molten lead. The molten lead aspect, was that something you had picked up from uh, people you had previously sought help from yourself? Yeah. So the people that I went to, uh, it was in Mer Sharim, Jerusalem. They have this technique and it's something from Europe where even today, if you go online in Germany, you can find that they're selling kits of uh, lead and it enables you to do this technique. And it's a primitive technique, but it works. What happened was when I originally did that, they have a tradition of doing it three times. What I found out later was that that's a mistake because what they're doing is they're re-releasing that entity back into the world by doing it three times. There's a Jewish tradition of doing th things three times. So that's where they do it. Inadvertently, they're releasing the thing that they took out of someone. So it leaves that person and goes into someone else. What I felt is that after I had done it the third time, I felt that the entity was above my head. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is in my home with my children. I intuitively opened up a portal and I put the entity into the portal so it wouldn't harm my family. And that's when I first realized that there are energetic methods, not just physical, like you know, burning incense, using crystals, using molten lead. We're living in an energetic universe and there's energetic solutions to energetic problems. And it was an evolution from that to what I do today. But that, that was the beginning of it. Insofar as the molten lead thing, how does that take this entity out of the person? Is it trapped in the molten lead or is it just kind of ID'd as it were and then it leaves of its own accord because it's been exposed? I haven't done scientific studies, which you know I'd love to do. My theory is that lead has a high atomic weight, like silver and gold, but silver and gold are expensive. So lead is an inexpensive way of doing this. Since it has a at high atomic weight, I believe that that's why it can... Also, you're, you're saying um, an ancient Hebrew prayer, the prayer that Jacob said to his grandchildren in Egypt to protect them from evil. It invokes the angels uh, Michael and Raphael. I believe that with that prayer, the intention and having the molten lead you know, in the vicinity and the intention of putting that energy, whatever that entity is into the molten lead. And since the molten lead has a high atomic weight, when it solidifies, it traps the spirit inside. And I believe that that's where idolatry began. 
when people found like in the smithies, you know, in the ancient world where they were doing bronze and copper and lead, I believe that they started seeing that they were able to trap spirits in these high atomic weight metals. You said you sent this through a portal. What's on the other side of this portal? Well, that, that's a good question. In my mind, it was like the astral realm in my primitive understanding of how the universe works. I understand now there's multiple dimensions. I just wanted it out of the physical 3D world and into a higher dimension where it can't come back and harm my children. In the last episode, I spoke with Father Lampert, a Vatican exorcist, who described demons as creatures without form. So it's interesting to me that Kenneth claims these entities can manifest in a physical form, albeit while trapped in lead. Granted, Kenneth is not a Catholic, so it's unsurprising to see our divergence of belief. But within the realm of exorcism, here we have two individuals with very different views on the very nature of the types of things that can possess a human. When we talk about possession and demons, are we talking about one specific group of entities, be they fallen angels or what have you, or do you feel there's a variety of different types of entities out there that can interact with people? So I'm evidence-based. I go by data, I'm data-driven. The Catholic priest's viewpoint is everything's either a demon or an angel. But in my personal practice, when I speak to these entities and they're able to either speak through a spirit box, as well as some are able to talk through the person that I'm doing the work on, and some people are able to get its thoughts. I also am able to speak to a person's higher self and get answers. So from all that work, and it's like thousands of hours of, of video, because uh, a lot of the uh, sessions that I do, I re-record just because there's so many things that happen, like orbs coming out of people, my hands getting dark when I remove. I, I don't know if you um, saw in my videos, but uh, you can actually see my hands darken when I remove an entity. You can see their features. And with a thermal imaging camera, you can actually see what they look like. I do believe that maybe a small percentage would be uh, quote unquote demons, but I'm finding that the vast majority of lost souls aliens, interdimensional beings, and other, I've seen like reptilians. So on the spirit box point now, a lot of cynics would say that on the spirit box is just constantly searching for different sounds and different frequencies, and it could pick up radio signals and things like that. And then in listening to it, our brain automatically tries to make sense of random bits of information and sounds and we think, oh, it, it said such and such, whereas in reality, it's just snippets of sound. And it's just the way, not, the way our brain processes it. It's not a legitimate, coherent conversation. What are your thoughts to, to that criticism? Okay, so uh, I'm very open to criticism. I believe in skepticism. I believe that's fine. But we have to understand that there are cynics that believe that the earth is flat. You know, They don't believe that the earth is round. So no matter how much evidence you show them, they're still not going to believe it. So that's the world we're living in. Now I'm evidence-based. You know, when I ask a question, like what's your name and you hear an answer and it's clearly a name. And not only is it a name, but it sounds like my brother, you know, or it sounds like me where they can mimic our voices. So it's not only what they're saying, it's the mimicking, you know, they can mimic people that they sound like people that, you know, I've heard radio stations come through 
you can tell the difference. You know, when you're asking a question and you're getting a direct answer to your question, that's not random. You said there are different types of entities, but yeah. in terms of whatever the different types are interacting with humans, generally speaking, why are they doing it? What is it they're seeking from us? Are they trying to harm us? Are they trying to control people? What's their end game? Well, you have to understand, just like there's many humans, there's many animals on this planet, there's many different types of entities too. I would assume it's a case-by-case basis, but I am seeing kind of themes and generalities. I, I do see that they go in soul groups, usually a master and slaves, and the slaves could be any type of entity. I do see some MOs, like the reptilians, they're very nasty. They don't use, they're not eloquent. They don't use sophisticated sentences. They usually say very nasty stuff. A lot of people, you know, that hear their voices, it's usually they're trying to make the person feel bad. They're pushing their emotional buttons. And also it depends. You have to understand that a Christian, they'll use Christian techniques against, you know, they'll say things that have to do with Christianity against the Christian. They'll say things that have to do with Islam against a, a Muslim. They'll say, you know, a Buddhist and so on. So it's, they customize their, whatever their techniques are to who they're afflicting. Now, so a Christian, they will say to them, you're going to hell. Like a Buddhist, they don't have a I don't believe they believe in hell, so they won't say that. But to a Christian, they will. They can also access people's memories and point out all the sins the person did and have them, you know, see it and relive it. And they present themselves as demons to a Christian, but to someone else, they'll appear, you know, whatever that culture believes in. From say the Catholic perspective, there's a thought that people can open up, not really, I suppose, portals is as good a word as any, but connect with demons when they do things like Ouija boards and rituals, dark rituals, things of that nature. From your experience, since you've dealt with people of different faiths, different countries and so forth, are there certain activities that these people seem to have done that attract these type events? Or is it just kind of random that these things just suddenly attack somebody and stop messing with them? First of all, a Ouija board is opening up a portal that anything can come through. So it's not just demons. I do find there's certain people that do drugs like meth, or they call it a molly or marijuana that's been tainted. I've had clients come to me that once they do a drug like that, it opens up a portal, uh, even ayahuasca. And by opening the portal, it makes them vulnerable and something comes and then they have the experience of something negative, either hearing voices, feeling touched, just knowing that something's wrong. Another scenario is people like to send curses to each other. I've had clients that people uh, have practiced graveyard magic and other types of things where they can do a ritual like slaughtering an animal and conjuring or coaxing a lost soul or some other negative entity to go afflict their enemies. Someone that's gifted is also vulnerable. I found that certain people have gifts where they can see and hear things beyond the five senses. And these negative entities see these people as threats because they can see into the world. And therefore, they usually send, uh, I call it a sleeper agent, where it's an entity that could be in someone for many years until there's an inciting incident. And the person's at their most vulnerable. And that's when they appear and then they start doing their things. And it could be as extreme as throwing furniture around. I've had a client that couches, beds, refrigerators, stoves, 
furniture was being moved about, you know, <laughs> visibly. At this point in the interview, I felt a sense of deja vu. Last year, I did a podcast episode on UFOs. I talked to Professor Greg Ekigian of Penn State University and Klaus Svahn, a journalist from Sweden. Both men provided me with numerous examples of UFOs that NATO, the US Air Force and other governmental bodies couldn't explain. Neither man explicitly said UFOs were alien, but in the absence of a conventional explanation, I was content to consider aliens as a possible explanation. But when another guest in that episode, Bill Konkoleski of MUFON, took things a step further and recounted his alleged encounters with actual alien beings, somehow, despite his apparent sincerity, I found it impossible to believe. Likewise, in this episode, once Kenneth began talking about portals, aliens and reptilians, I felt a wall go up inside me, thinking this is too much to believe. But somehow, I'm comfortable to entertain the idea as of demons and spiritual entities. So once I open my mind to those possibilities, where should I draw the line and say demons and flying saucers are possibly believable, but portals and reptilians are beyond the pale? I guess it's partly the fear of where open-mindedness ends. I suppose we all have limits to our imagination, beyond which we are not prepared to consider that which we cannot prove or control. I must mention that Kenneth offered to connect me with a number of his clients who can testify to the effectiveness of his treatments. It was something I pursued, but as I mentioned in the last episode, this two-part feature on exorcism has been beset by technical issues with computers, Zoom, other recording platforms, and every other kind of problem you can possibly imagine. Ultimately, with several other episodes on the horizon, I was unable to connect with any of his clients in a timely manner, but you can find more information about him and his ministry in the links below the podcast. Having talked to Kenneth, I wanted to get back to the core tenor of this episode, demons. I wondered how people like Kenneth, who seek to cast out a variety of entities, including demons, would be viewed by fundamentalist Christians when those exorcists, like Kenneth, are not followers of Jesus. It was a question I put to Shirley Phelps Roper of the Westboro Baptist Church. The apostles complained that there was some bloke going around casting out demons in their name, and they were annoyed. And Jesus said, well, if they're not against us, then they're for us, which kind of implies not necessarily that they were successful, but that Jesus didn't have a problem with them anyway. Okay, so about all that, Lord Jesus Christ gave those apostles things that he didn't give to any others. The casting out, the, our help, comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're mm -hmm. not, there's not any humans that we worship and there are not any humans that we call on for our help. We have to call on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, but don't forget that in, you get a window into the face of these demon spirits when you go back into the Old Testament when Jehoshaphat, who foolishly was marrying his son off to Ahab, 
that wicked king. He was the mm. king of Israel and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And he married his son off to Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Why? I, I don't know, but that's what happened. It's in the providence of God. That's why. So anyway, they are sitting there and they're going to go up to Ramoth Gilead and they've got all these false prophets piled up here, hundreds of them. And he says, Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, is there not a prophet of God here? The God of Israel? And he says, well, there is a guy. His name is uh, Micaiah, but he hates me and he never says anything good. And he says, well, I want to hear from him. So they, he orders them, Ahab orders them to bring him and they go to get him. And he, they said, now listen, all these other prophets, the guy's going to get him, says all these other prophets are saying it's good to go up to Ramoth Gilead. And Micaiah says, I'm not going to say anything except what the Lord has given me to say. And so he goes in before the kings and he says, shall I go up to Ramoth Gilead? And he said, go up, go up and prosper. And Ahab says, I'm telling you, because he knew he was being sarcastic. You tell me what you really know. And Ahab says, okay. He said, I saw heaven and I saw God sitting on his throne and I saw the demon spirits before him. And he says, who am I going to send or how am I going to convince Ahab to go up to Ramoth Gilead to die? And uh, he says, and I saw one spirit say this and one spirit say that. And the demon spirit said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. So God said, go do it. And so he did. And he says, I saw Israel, you know, with no leader and scattered on the mountain. So he told me he was going to go up and die. And he said, if I don't come back, I, he turned him over to his son one of his sons and said you keep him in the in prison and you feed him on the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until i return in peace and of course he says you're not going to return in peace we don't ever know what happened to micaiah but we know that ahab went up to ramoth gilead and soldier shot a bow at a venture and it happened to land right where the in the joints of the harness and killed him and then all the things that Elijah had told him that the dogs would lick his blood in the field of Jezreel where uh, he killed Naboth for his vineyard. Uh, so we get that image where the demon spirits are permitted to do only what God permits them to do. There are a lot of different people who go around saying that they're exorcists, whether it's Catholic priests, exorcists or different Protestant groups or just like secular people you don't believe that they have the authority to do that but no. in their experiences right they claim that they've encountered people who are possessed who are speaking ancient aramaic ancient babylonian levitating all these kind of things do you believe these people are actually possessed and these demons can manifest these things i'm i believe that there are demons and i believe that they impact how these people believe look let's make it real you got this woman saying that there was a voice in my head i could not get away from the voice in my head and so i took my dead husband's sword this is a woman back in the in the early days of iraq of iraq mm -hmm. all right the iraq war and she took her dead husband's sword and she killed the baby and she ate 
parts of him. And she did it, she said, because of the voice in her head. There is no question in my mind that these demons impact people. So when you see the shooter and you see the guy who has absolutely no control himself and they and you, then you have all these talking heads we need to do this we need to do this we need to do that there is no possible way when god has cursed a nation and they are in their death throes their de days of decline that they are going to have any power to stop the demon spirits that god sends when he sends a shooter the shooter is coming you can't talk him out of it you can't profile him out of it you can't fix this nation the Westboro Baptist Church are far from being a mainstream Christian group, and in fact, that's something they take pride in, as they feel they have a purer, more literal interpretation of the Bible. But it's extraordinary to me to hear Shirley talk about God actually sending demons to do his work, as that's exactly the kind of narrative prominent atheists such as Stephen Fry and Christopher Hitchens have used as a justification for suggesting the God of the Abrahamic religions does not exist, as simply, he'd be in a position to prevent such things. But that is a debate for another day. In terms of this podcast, I wrap things up by talking once again to Vatican exorcist Father Vincent Lampert. Picking up on my conversation with Kenneth, who saw possessions as events sometimes involving things other than demons... I wondered about the ability of the deceased or ghosts to interact with the living. Individuals have claimed to be possessed by Judas Iscariot, for example. Is that something that happens where individuals who are deceased, Adolf Hitler or somebody like that, their spirit can possess someone? Or is that just demons masquerading as them just because they think, well, this probably impressed or scared these people? It would be important before answering that question to to state that demons can only do things that God permits them to do. So even though when Lucifer fell from heaven and one third of the angels, they were cast out of heaven, but they weren't cast out of creation. They still have a role to play. So the question you raise is, can somebody be possessed by the souls of the damned, so to speak? You mentioned Judas. You mentioned Hitler. That's a big debate right now, because that would mean that somehow God gives Satan permission to pull souls out of hell. Would God actually do that? And the notion would be heaven and hell are permanent realities. We know that from the biblical account of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man says, send Lazarus to dip his finger, you know, you know, in water to quench my my tongue. And he's told that there's a great chasm to prevent anybody from crossing from one side to the other. The other notion, at least from a Catholic perspective, is we declare saints. <laughs> Today is All Saints Day, but we don't declare sinners. So we can look at somebody like Judas, and we can look at somebody like Hitler, and they did horrific things, but the church never says, beyond a doubt, this person's in hell. We just The church doesn't make those statements. We say there are people that we believe are in heaven, based on their holy and virtuous lives. So we declare saints, but we don't declare sinners. So to me, there isn't a clear answer or there's no official answer that the church has. But for me, oftentimes I would believe that when somebody believes they're seeing the spirit of Judas or Hitler, it's a demon that's playing into 
kind of their beliefs or their convictions. Mm -hmm.